We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nechami, founder of Carmela Cosmetics, a company that produces high-performance natural beauty products and is dedicated to uniting and empowering women through the power of color. This is We Are Women, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast came about as a way to give a voice to all women because we all have stories to share. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of bread and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night, and we are women. Tonight's interview is with my inspiring friend, Zipporah Zalmanowicz. Zipporah is a successful lawyer, a dating coach, and a recovering codependent and love addict. You'll soon hear her story of how she discovered her codependent tendencies while in law school during a class activity. Since then, after a tremendous amount of inner work and self-development, she's made it her mission to spread awareness and help others who are suffering with the challenge of codependency. Zipporah and I had a great and informative discussion about what it means to be codependent, the ways it can manifest in relationships, how she worked through her codependency, and resources that are out there to help with the healing process. I am 31 years old and I currently live in Queens, New York. I work as a trust and estates litigator um, and I love my job. My passion is really all about empowering singles to like live their best lives. And the way that my passion sort of formulated was through my journey, my mental health journey, basically. Um, growing up, I was always the people pleaser. I was always the yes person. I didn't really have a strong identity. And when I started dating for marriage, it was very challenging to create emotional connections with the guys I was dating because I just didn't have a sense of who I was and really what I needed from a relationship. So once I got myself into therapy and a lot of other forms of self-help, um, I, I really transformed the way that I date and view myself as a single person. And I try to carry that message to other singles. I love that you do a great job of that, Tora, as a follower and as a friend. Thank you. I've seen both sides of that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one thing that I never asked you, and I'm actually really curious about this is, first of all, what made you decide to become a lawyer? Oh, so that's a great question, because really, I thought I was going to go into psychology. I didn't know what sort of modality or like what kind of psychology. Um, at one point, I was very interested in becoming a music therapist. And then I was sort of talked out of that because there's really like no job market for that. Um, and then when I was in Israel for the year after high school, I decided social work would be the most practical way to practice um, counseling because it's basically the quickest. Um, and when I came back and finished my bachelor's degree and I was looking into graduate programs, I came across a dual social work and law degree program that just sounded so cool. Um, and after doing a little bit more research, I decided that pursuing a law degree would be more lucrative, obviously, um, but also I just felt like it might challenge me more and I was always looking for more of a challenge um, and so I knew I would be helping people through counseling them in the legal field and that was really the underlying reason why I wanted to go into psychology anyway was to help people so I do what I always wanted to be doing um, but just in a different way than I had initially imagined. Wow okay that makes sense that's really cool so um, you mentioned before that you suffer from anxiety and codependency. So could you talk me through your journey and your decision to eventually become a relationship coach? Because that's pretty, that's quite different than being a lawyer. <laughs> yes. Um, so, okay. Uh, I always have a hard time 
tracing my story back to its origins because there's been like so many different moving parts. But I would I would start off by saying that, you know, as a young girl, I always had a sense of needing to make other people happy. I didn't know that that's what fueled me. I just that's how I operated. Um, so be it in friendships, be it in relationships with family members, I was constantly driven by what does the other person want from me? What do they expect from me? What do they need from me? There was never a sense of what's good for me. There was no I in the equation. So many of my friendships as a younger girl uh, were very imbalanced so, you know, my closest friends were very strong personalities, very opinionated, whereas I was more of like the shy and timid person, sort of just following along. Um, and this continued through elementary school, high school. I think once I went to Israel after high school, I started developing a stronger sense of self, but it wasn't until I was actually in law school and I can't remember the sequence of events, but I think it was my first year of law school in between our first and second semester. So between you know winter and spring, um, they had an optional seminar for first year law students. I don't remember how it related to law whatsoever. I just remember there being a personality quiz involved. And based on the answers to the questions, you were assigned a color. So you were either a red person, you were a gold person, or you were, I forget the third choice, was like a blue person. I don't know. And all my closest school friends were red people, and I was the gold person. And everyone's like, of course, Zipporah is the gold person. Wait, so what does this She's mean? Though? What does gold and red people mean? So... Right. So, you know, the red people were the very strong, outspoken, opinionated, um, just like really aggressive, typical lawyer personalities that you would think of. Whereas the gold people were much softer, soft spoken, nice. Like you would just identify them as nice. Um, and there were a lot fewer of, of us um, in law school at the time. Um, and it was just such an eye-opening experience where I was looking at my life and how I managed to surround myself with all these like really strong personalities where I didn't have a voice or say in my relationships and thinking about how that translated into my dating life. Was I attracting red type of guys? Is that like what I'm surrounding myself with? Um, and I think during my second year of law school, I actually got myself into therapy and started really seeing how this was a lifelong pattern of how I created friendships, stayed in them without really having a sense of who I was. Um, and so eight years plus in therapy, I think at this point, I've learned a lot about what codependency is. And that's you know where you put yourself last and, and make everyone else a priority you're unable to communicate your wants and needs um you, you're basically a rag where people can just you know walk all over you um and I finally learned how to speak up for myself and I had to let go of a lot of friendships that were not healthy for me um and it's still something that I struggle with because it's so like ingrained in my being of like wanting to make other people happy mm -hmm. But there's, a, there's definitely a, a way to balance it. There's a way to be a kind and thoughtful person without sacrificing your own happiness for the sake of others. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so just to clarify, are you saying that um, you discovered that you had codependent challenges or tendencies when you were in law school after this activity, the red, gold people? Yeah, I think that's sort of what triggered some sort of identification. I could not have used the word codependent at that point because I had no idea what it was. I didn't learn about the concept of codependency until I got into therapy. And that was probably a year later. Um, but once I did get into therapy, I was able to like look back on my entire life and see like, oh, wow, this has been my 
MO for forever. And is this really how I want to continue? Is this how I want to be in relationships? No, not really, because it's miserable. Um, and what I then discovered through doing work around codependency was that not only am I codependent, but I'm also a love addict, um, which is, to me, I, I see codependency and love addiction as very synonymous. Um, and, and what the definition of love addiction is, is, well, addiction in itself is any sort of behavior that's done compulsively that causes harm to oneself. And for me, it's love addiction is continuing to get myself into relationships, whether it's romantic or friendships, whatever it may be, that are unhealthy for me. And I know that based on past patterns of behavior, but I'm still unable to break out of it. And it's just like compulsive need to do it. Like if one guy rejects me, I immediately move on to the next guy, even though he's the same exact person as guy number one and so on and so forth. If a friendship doesn't work out, I go make another friendship with someone who is exactly like the first friendship, even though I know that it's going to end the same way and it's going to hurt me and I'm going to suffer. I, I, there's just this like compulsive need to do it because I know no other way. Well, th was this something that happened your whole life and then you became aware of it as an adult after law school or during law school? Or is this something that developed as an adult? I, yeah, that's a good question. I think I have always been a codependent person. I, from as young as I can remember, I could not separate myself from other people. Like I didn't know where I began and someone else or what's the, uh, there, there's a better way of saying it, where someone else ends and you begin. Um, I think the love addiction aspect came out for me more once I started dating for marriage and seeing a pattern of the sorts of guys that I was dating, both formally dating and informally dating. And what I mean by informally dating is, you know, guys that were not um, necessarily introduced to me for the purpose of dating for marriage, but they were guys that I met on my own and developed unhealthy relationships with um, because they were very clear about their intentions not to date me for marriage. And I still continued to see them and to spend time with them, hoping that I would make them fall in love with me by my, you know, being kind and doing things for them and whatever it may be, even though they were clearly saying, I am not ready for marriage, I still, quote unquote, dated them. Right. And that was a very, and that was very painful. And I repeated that pattern for years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Is there like a difference in the way codependency manifests uh, in friendships versus romantic relationships? Not really, because the concept is the same regardless of what context you put it in. So in the context of a friendship, you are people pleasing. You, you know, your friend, you have a friend who, you know, wants to go to restaurant A for dinner and you really want to go to restaurant B. And you go to restaurant A because you don't want to upset your friend. She really wants to go to A. I'll go to B a different time. It's really okay. And then you go to restaurant A and they have no food that you like and you're very disappointed. And you say to yourself, I should have stood up for myself. I should have said, I really prefer to go to restaurant B. And now I came out, I got dressed, I was all excited and I have nothing to eat. Mm -hmm. So that's what it looks like in a friendship. In a dating or a romantic relationship, you're, you're on a date with a guy who wants to go ice skating and you're terrified of ice skating. You had a traumatic experience as a child, whatever it may right. be, or you just don't like ice skating, but you can't tell him that because he'll be disappointed. He's already planned the date and we're already here. And so you sort of like swallow it and you go ice skating and you fall and you hurt yourself and you become resentful that you didn't just say, I don't like ice skating or I'm afraid to go ice skating. 
And so you then trans, then you put the blame on the guy because he's done something wrong. He's made you go ice skating when you really didn't want to. And so it's, it's the same thing. It's the inability to speak your needs and to just put someone else's preferences above your own to your detriment. And it builds resentment. And there's really no way to separate the experience from the person. Mm-hmm. They're like forever connected. And it's, it's incredibly painful, especially when you're in a friendship for many, many, many years exhibiting the same sorts of behaviors it's very hard to not hate and love your best friend at the same time and it becomes very confusing for sure can yeah i could imagine it's like yeah that must be so anxiety provoking and stressful oh absolutely Uh, absolutely and i mean i suffer from anxiety as well clinical anxiety so um there's just a whole lot that goes into codependency and how it manifests itself and its effects on your mental health. Not everyone who's a codependent has anxiety. It just I just happen to be lucky that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of manifest, how the way it manifests itself, before you were aware of your codependencies, what was your thought process? you know, like, as well as your emotional experience of it, like, when it came to relationships, if that makes sense. Like, I mean, I don't know if you were so aware of, like, your your process, like, the process in your mind, but, like, looking back at it versus now, you know? Yeah, so before I even knew what the concept of codependency was, I was completely disconnected from myself emotionally, meaning I had feelings and I felt pain and disappointment and frustration and resentment and all those things but I didn't know how to separate again like the experience from the person so every painful experience was connected to a person there was never an ounce of self-responsibility there was never accountability where I was able to look at myself and say hey how did I contribute to this situation how did I get myself here It was always other-focused. Now, having the awareness that I have and having done a lot of recovery work, I I view situations very differently, relationships and painful experiences and joyful experiences the same. I can see where I play a part in everything that happens in my life. It's no longer everything is everyone else's fault. There is an awareness and an acceptance of me contributing to every situation I find myself in, whether that means I haven't created a boundary, I haven't enforced a boundary, I am not speaking up, I'm not communicating my needs, I'm being selfish or self-centered. I mean, there's so many different ways where my, basically where I contribute to the painful experiences that I go through. Right. And so I think that's the difference. Like your part, your that. part, that's what you're saying, right? Exactly, yeah. my part, yep. Yeah. So did the codependency manifest in all of your relationships or just certain ones? Like, is this something that if you're codependent, then then you're going to act like this in every single relationship? Or if the other person is healthy, um, is it something that can, like, that, that it, won't, it won't, just won't manifest in those relationships? That's a fantastic question. Um, I can only speak from my personal experience um, because I'm not a mental health professional, so I don't know exactly how everyone's brains works. I know for me, every single relationship that I had was codependent in some way, shape, or form. Whether I, whether it was like very codependent or there were aspects of the relationship that were codependent. I am confident in saying that every relationship that I had was a codependent relationship. Having been in therapy and done recovery work, I still have codependent tendencies. Like you're never like rid of those things, but I am much more aware and I have language and I have a voice now. I, you know, prior to getting into therapy, 
I didn't know how to express myself properly. I didn't know how to say like, hey, this bothers me or this doesn't really work for me. I didn't know how to say it. I didn't know that I could say it. I remember very clearly being envious of people who were able to just so clearly say what they were feeling or thinking and thinking to myself, oh, but I can never do that. And I, I would say that probably eight out of 10 times I can express myself and there are still, you know, those two out of 10 times where I feel that fear around like, what are they going to think or what's going to happen if I say this or it, it's just not worth it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think the answer is there are, there were always aspects of my relationships that were codependent there are fewer aspects or fewer relationships that I experience now with codependent tendencies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. But I just have one question though, because don't, are most relationships like, isn't there at least like one, like a, maybe like a little aspect of being codependent because no one wants to upset somebody else. You know what I mean? Like you want to, you want to be there for your friends. You want to please other people. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's it's true. And I don't think that wanting to make someone else happy or be a supportive friend means that you're necessarily codependent. Because remember, codependency is where there is zero sense of self in the relationship. Mm, okay. There is no identity of self. So you can be very in tune with yourself and want to make someone happy as long as it's not compromising your morals, your comfort level, whatever it may be. So for example, if you say to me, hey, Tora, I'm going to use the restaurant example again. Um, I'm really in the mood for like dairy tonight. Let's try out this restaurant. And I have been to that restaurant before, and I know that their food isn't good or that their ser service isn't good. But I, you, you, I know you want dairy. So I can say, you know what, Nahami, I'm so down for dairy. I just didn't have a pleasant experience at that particular restaurant. Why don't we try this other dairy restaurant? So I'm still taking your preferences and feelings into account without compromising myself. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes total sense. So basically what you're saying is the difference between actually being a, like someone who is codependent versus just like a regular human being with who maybe some there's some overlap in terms of like wanting to please people whatever but the difference in the unhealthy aspect is when you lose your sense of self absolutely perfectly said okay just me <laughs> thanks <laughs> it's so funny that you get that example because as you were talking i was thinking back to when me and Hani went out and yeah. we had to figure out which restaurant we were going to exactly that's why it changed my <laughs> mind <laughs> and no it's funny because I remember first Khani suggested something and I happened to have wheat allergies so I and everything on the menu was wheat so I told you guys and then like there was another yeah. restaurant where you said something like you don't have the best experience so we like went to like a third option what was the third option and we were and we all were happy with it right right no it's so true it's so true i guess like a, someone who's codependent would be like nervous and they just wouldn't say that and they would just they would they wouldn't say it exactly right. like if you hadn't told us about your weed allergy we would have just gone to that first restaurant and you would have just sat there and not eaten anything <laughs> and then what would have been the point right right yeah okay yeah no, that makes sense i'm learning a lot in this discussion okay <laughs> Oh God, I'm so glad. <laughs> so how did you start working on detachment? Like, is it, and, and also, is it still a challenge? Um, okay. So yes, it's definitely still a challenge. Just get that out of the way, hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. Um, I, I think really just being in, in therapy, I used to go to therapy. Was it twice a week or maybe it was just once a week, but it was very consistently. Um, and started reading a lot of literature about codependency. And every time I had a date, I would consult with my therapist. So there was never a situation where I couldn't like put these new ideas or principles into practice without having a coach who was my therapist. Um, but even before that, I would say, that my work with codependency really started with my friendships in, in law school. And I found myself 
starting to back away a little bit from certain friends who were very strong in their personalities. And, you know, if I said no to whatever suggestion it was, and they were taken aback by that, that was a very clear sign to me that this wasn't a healthy relationship. Because if I am unable to say no to something in a friendship without that, the other person being upset or surprised or disappointed, then we're, we're not having an equal relationship. Um, so I, I really practiced detachment, I think, the most with friendships during law school. And once I got comfortable doing that, it sort of trickled into other areas of my life, um, or other friendships, I should say. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's still something that I struggle with. But by and large, there is no one in my life right now that I don't want in my life. And that's huge for me, because there was a point where there were so many people in my life that made me unhappy or who were unhealthy for me. And I just had no idea how to extricate myself because again, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and I don't want to make drama and I want people, you know, what are they going to think of me now? It's like, I don't, I don't have time. I don't have patience for drama. So if some, if a friendship is not serving me, I'm not going to work hard to maintain it. I'll either let it slip away on its own naturally, or I have tough conversations with people. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. But yeah, it's still a challenge for sure. Yeah. Wow. No, that's pretty cool that you have no, I mean, I, I don't think most people could say that they don't have anyone in their life that they don't want in their life. Yeah, that's true. That's, it's a, it's a pretty big statement. So I'm just curious about like the healing aspect of codependency. So does your healing work start from the emotional side and work through to your thoughts or is it the opposite? How does it work? Definitely through emotions. Um, I had to do a lot of like childhood healing (laughs) Um, in, in being able to really see changes in my current relationships because you know our earliest relationships are obviously with our parents and with our siblings and so if those relationships are codependent from birth which they're they aren't always but in my scenario they were um it you just don't know any other way of being So it was really important for me to sort of dig deep and go back to childhood and try to recall childhood memories and how, like what the dynamic was between me and my mother and me and my father and, and seeing how those patterns played themselves out in other relationships. It was very eye-opening. And I think once I was able to really see what, what it was that I grew up with, how that translated into relationships and friendships later on, I was then able to then say, okay, this didn't work for me then. It's still not working for me. How can I change that? And I have to say, you know, thankfully over the last, I would say five to eight years, I've really experienced a massive transformation in my relationship with many of my family members. And not just because of my transformation, but through their own. And so my relationship with my parents is so different than what it was when I was growing up. And it's much healthier. It's much more, I don't want to say equal because a relationship between parent and child is never equal, but it's a lot more balanced. And it's because I was able to go back and see what it was that didn't work for me as a child and to know what I do need now as an adult. Well, I love it that you recognize the pattern and that you said, see that things weren't working for you. And instead Mm -hmm. of continuing in that pattern, you went and changed it and fixed it or whatever you did. And that's so powerful because I think that so many people could learn from that because it's just human nature that we keep on repeating the same patterns and trends, even when it's not working out until we say to ourselves, like, hello, this is not working out, like change something, you know? 
Absolutely. And unfortunately, many people spend the majority of their lives not knowing that there's another way to live. And so they continue to repeat the same unhealthy, destructive behaviors for much of their lives, only to either never discover there's another way or to discover it later in life with a lot of regret. So I like talking about this because I think it's so important for women and men of you know our generation to know about these things because this was the topic of codependency love addiction anxiety mental health in general were not topics of conversation around the house and that's not to blame my parents at all I don't think any of my friends grew up with these sorts of conversations it just wasn't normal it wasn't done and I think our generation is a lot more self-aware And as a result, it's important for there to be the right information available so that we can learn more about ourselves and we can do it differently for our kids. Where do you think codependency comes from? Like, is it an external source or is it, is it biological? So some mental health challenges are, are biological, right? Mm -hmm. Like clinical anxiety, but it could also be nature it could also be the way someone grew up with a you know controlling you know they maybe they grew up with a super controlling parent who instilled in them this like fear and anxiety whatever it was you know what I mean so codependency is that like a learned behavior or is it biological the way I understand it is that it's behavioral um I don't know that there's necessarily like a chemical imbalance that we're born with although I think the more we behave in the same way, the more ingrained it becomes. And so whether it then becomes more of a biological thing, I don't know, I'm not a doctor, um, but my understanding and, and the therapy that I've received and continue to receive to treat codependency is behavioral, it's cognitive behavioral therapy. So I think that's the answer. So So do you think that more people are prone to falling into codependency patterns based on the way they grew up or behavioral stuff? Yeah, I think it really, I think we're trained to be codependent. I think women in general tend to be more codependent than men simply because we are brought up to be, you know, nurturing humans and, you know, we're very motherly and and we just have that caretaking innateness within us. And so it's very easy to cross over the line of healthy nurturing into unhealthy caretaking. Yeah. Um, And, and, and I hate to, you know, put it all on the moms, but that's really where it is. You need a role model to show you how, like, what is a healthy way to take care of people. And I think many of us struggle with that. I don't think there's any human who doesn't display some sort of codependent tendencies. Even the healthiest people can fall into that trap. And it's just a matter of talking about it and naming it and seeing like, oh, hey, I sacrificed myself in that scenario. How can I do it better next time? And I think being able to have conversations with your kids about it too. You don't necessarily need to sit down with your three-year-old daughter and talk about codependency, but remember that children literally take in everything that they see. So obviously the way that you behave and how you treat your spouse and other children and the people in your life, but also being able to say to your children, you know, this is okay and this is not okay. Yeah, for sure. Can you imagine that every mom went to therapy and like got a, just became a healthy person? Uh, how wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> there, I always say like there should be a required therapy before anyone has kids. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, what's the relationship between anxiety and codependency? Ooh, that's a tough question. I don't know that I'm qualified to answer that. I experienced them both together and separately anxiety for me is definitely biological I mean I have clinical anxiety so I mean I take medication for it so it's a very different thing than codependency Um, I think having clinical anxiety and being a codependent 
is a really challenging combination (laughs) Um, because there's, you know, unmedicated Sephora was constantly overthinking everything. And, and to the extent, this is like my favorite example of describing my anxiety. Before making a phone call, I would play the entire call out in my head. This is what I'm going to say when they answer the phone. Then I'm going to ask them the question this way. No, it sounds better this way. Okay. I have to say it like this. And then they're going to say that. And then I'm going to respond. And literally I would like go into this like anxious, I don't know what, like craze before making the simplest of phone calls. If I had to like call a doctor's office, I would make my mother call the doctor because I couldn't do it. And it's just ironic to me that I went into a field that is incredibly high pressured and anxiety provoking, thinking that that was going to be okay for me. Um, And it's actually because I went into such a high stress profession that I was able to then be diagnosed because for my entire life, I just thought I was a worrier. Mm -hmm. But when I had like actual anxiety attacks, then I was like, yeah, this is not normal. This is not just normal worrying. This is like inability to function properly or effectively. So yeah, I don't know that I can necessarily tie anxiety to codependency, but for someone who is a people pleaser and that, you know, caretaker to have to overthink every single thing that you do it's you just it's not possible to function properly in life right so would you say that your anxiety kind of like um heightened the codependency because it kind of made everything made you more anxious about everything that you were worried about pleasing people in the first place or is that like not (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I don't know if it heightened the codependency because I think it's gonna be there it 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 just highlighted for me how dysfunctional my way of living was. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Like there was just no scenario in which I can say like, Hey, this is me at my fullest potential. Mm -hmm. I was always operating at subpar because I was so clouded in my brain and so clouded in my behavior. Got it. Okay. Okay. How has the codependency affected your professional life? Uh, That, (laughs) Um, okay. So my first job right out of law school was with a new firm. They had just opened up. They were advertising in like the local papers. And my mother happened to have seen the advertisement and said like, hey, why don't you reach out to them? And I did. And I didn't have any other job prospects at the time. I was studying for the bar. Um, I thought I was going to continue in a research position after the bar. Um, So when I met with, you know, these two potential employers, for me, it was just, this has to work. I don't have any other options. And so regardless of what they're offering to pay, regardless of where they're located, regardless of the sort of work they're going to give me. This is the field I want to be in and I'm going to take this job. So I went into that interview already with a codependent mindset of like, I'm going to make this work regardless of how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. And truth be told, I learned a lot during my time there, but I was paid terribly. I had many non- legal responsibilities. Uh, I was in a very like small office with one of the partners. So it was like a very enclosed space. Um, And as the firm grew and they hired more people, because I was sort of there at the beginning, the bosses started treating me like their go-to person, which on the surface sounds like a really great place to be like that. They trust you, that they valued my opinion. They wanted me involved, but 
they weren't compensating me that way and they weren't treating me that way in, in the responsibilities that I was being given, you know, at work. And so it, it, it just continued to fester in this codependent environment to the point where I had to eventually leave. Um, thankfully I had, I got a great job opportunity. And so I wasn't like leaving with nothing as a backup, but I knew that if I stayed there any longer, I was going to completely lose myself. I was miserable there at the end. Um, so I don't remember what the original question was, but I think it was, you know, how does codependency play into your professional life? Um, you know, once I got the awareness of just how enmeshed and codependent the relationship was between me and one of the partners in particular, I knew that in looking for a new job, it had to be completely different. It had to be a more established firm. It had to be you know, with people who were a little bit older, just a very different dynamic. Um, and, and I got exactly what I needed. I don't have any codependent relationships with anyone in my office. And it's amazing. I have wonderful relationships with everyone, but they are all appropriate for what they need to be. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So how could close friends and family support their friends who struggles with codependency? Um, they, they, I don't know that they can. I think codependency is such an individual journey and it's for every person to figure out for themselves. In trying to help someone who's codependent, I think we run the risk of becoming codependent ourselves, right? Because we're so worried about the other person that we will probably shift and mold and bend ourselves to accommodate them, which is sort of like not what you want to be doing and is just like feeding into the codependency. I think codependency is a very individual journey. It's very much a matter of self-discovery. And I don't know that anyone else's behavior is going to help you in your journey towards self-discovery. Because the whole point is learning how to interact with people in a healthy way. So it doesn't matter how the other person is behaving. It matters how you're behaving. If someone's inappropriate, you learning to set a boundary or to walk away is all part of your recovering from codependency. If someone is really nice to you, if someone's mean to you, like it doesn't really, the point is, is that you, you want to be able to function in regardless of what other people are doing or how they're behaving, if that makes sense. Yeah, because I was going to ask you if people could help their friends, let's say, you know, like just be a safe place for them to to kind of like state their actual opinions or, um, or, or, or needs or wants and you know what I mean? I mean, that, that those are, it's, it's always great for anyone to create a safe space for anyone to speak and share and talk. But again, the, the growth is very individual and it really needs to be like, if I need to say something and I'm around someone who's not going to let me speak my mind, then I either need to learn to like push past that or to step away and not engage with that person. I don't need someone who's very strong and opinionated to say like, oh, I'll quiet down so that you can speak. Right. Because that's, first of all, condescending. <laughs> and second of all, it defeats the whole purpose. Like you need to build enough strength within yourself to say like, hey, I have something to say about this. I'm not okay with this. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. That's yeah. a great point. That's a great point. How would you empower other women dealing with codependency? just by talking about it. Um, I think, you know, I recently had a conversation with a friend of mine who's, you know, my age, 31, 32, um, and who is just starting on her journey of like untangling codependent relationships. And 
you know, when she started sharing with me, she wouldn't use the term codependency. She just said, you know, she's been reading some books or she's been going to therapy. And by what she was describing, I said to her, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm also a codependent. And she was like, so taken aback. She's like, wait, you know what that is? And it just opened up the conversation and just, it became a much more comfortable, more intimate, understanding, loving conversation because there was identification. So, and I think that that goes for any ailment that that we experience when there's identification, when there's no judgment, when there's empathy, it makes the work that much more pleasant in knowing that like, it's not just me. And, and that's the truest thing you could say about codependency. Like no matter how healthy you are, you definitely experience codependency in some way, shape or form. And to be able to talk about it and to identify it and to work towards being healthier and, and less codependent, that's how we empower one another. Yes, for sure. You mentioned earlier that you started getting some support, some means of support. Were you referring to just therapy or did you ever join any support groups or, you know, any, any group sessions? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Uh, the answer is yes. So aside from therapy, I am a a member of a 12 step program. Um, I've been in 12 steps for the last four and a half years. So that has definitely helped me more. So I think with like my romantic relationships, although it's all really the same, quite honestly. Um, I've also done a lot of self-help seminars through Landmark, um, and that really helped with like my early childhood stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And the things that I've learned from all these different groups and seminars are things that I use in my day-to-day life. It's not like, oh, I went to that seminar and like that was a great experience and now carry on. Like I, I really incorporate a lot of what I've learned and and it's made me who I am today. And that's why I enjoy talking about it so much because it reminds me like, oh right, this is something that's really important to me. And I don't want to go back to my old ways and I need to talk about it and put it into practice. And the more people I talk about it with, the more identification there is and the more loving and belonging we experience. So um, I've, I've encouraged friends to do Landmark. I've encouraged friends to check out 12 Steps. I've encouraged friends to go to therapy. I don't tell anyone what to do, but I just let people know that there are things available and that it's not a one size fits all. Not everyone is meant to be in a 12 step program. Not everyone's meant to attend certain seminars. Not, I think everyone could benefit from therapy. I'm just going to say that, (laughs) but um, you know, but it's a matter of finding the right therapist and finding the right sort of seminars and the right sort of motivational speakers whatever and whoever speaks to you, that's what you need to surround yourself with. Yes, for sure. I love how you've utilized all the resources that are out there and available to get the help that you need, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. Cause at one point, I think before I did the landmark seminars, I must've said to my therapist, like, what's the point? Like I'm in therapy, I'm in recovery. Like, why do I need to constantly be looking for the next thing that's going to heal me? Like, why aren't the things that I'm currently utilizing working? Like, you know, I, I just, I had that fear of like, nothing is working. And what I came to realize is that we are, we as humans are super dynamic. I mean, there are so many different parts of what make us who we are and not every form of self-help is going to target every single part of us that needs help. And so utilizing different forms of self-help is not a sign of weakness or a sign that like the other things aren't working. It's, it's to me, a sign that like, you're so in touch with yourself that you know what needs to be targeted next. 
Like all these things are, you know, healing, but there's still this one thing that I'm, I'm blocked about or that I, I can't really experience a breakthrough with. And that could be for many reasons and whatever, but seeking and you, like you said, utilizing different forms of self-help is not a sign of weakness. And, and if anything, I feel a huge amount of gratitude that there's so much available to us that wasn't available to our parents and, and that will help us be better parents to, to our children. And, and hopefully, you know, more things will develop and the more the merrier is really how I feel about it. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I I feel like you've kind of covered this, but just to make sure, is there any advice that you would give to fellow codependents or people who think that they have maybe some codependent behaviors or tendencies, or do you think you've covered it all? Um, My advice to anyone who is struggling in life, whether they can name it specifically or they just have this experience where, you know, something isn't working, something doesn't feel right get help, talk about it, speak to someone, whether it's a mental health professional, it's a trusted advisor, it's a seminar, it's a recovery group, whatever it may be, you don't have to do this thing called life on your own. I know people like me who are like very independent and like to do things on their own and not ask for help, think that like we have to figure it out on our own. And that's really not the case. There's, I don't know why there's such a huge stigma towards therapy or self-help, but this just in, the healthiest and most established people I know are all people who, are, get, who go out and ask for help in whatever shape or form that looks like. So if you're someone who is dissatisfied with any part of your life, go in and get help. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's, it doesn't have to be about money. There are plenty of free self-help programs it's just really important to remember that you don't have to be alone. You don't have to figure things out on your own. There's so much available. There's a ton of resources out there and no one needs to be made to feel alone. Yes, for sure. Okay. So you've been so vulnerable on social media with your struggles. And I think a lot of people might look at you and you know, really admire you for that because it's not, it's very unusual to be so open and vulnerable with your struggles, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So where does your confidence to share some of your struggles and story come from? Ah, so that comes from Landmark. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I had a very big breakthrough. So for people who aren't familiar with Landmark, Um, It is a weekend course um, where, I mean, you really just untangle some of the like deepest beliefs that you have about yourself um, and about the world in general. And it's all about just having breakthroughs and uncovering blind spots. You know, the, the typical landmark example is, you know, there are things you know, you know, there are things you don't you know you don't know and then there are things that you don't know that you don't know and that's called a blind spot and the work in landmark helps you tackle those blind spots um and so confidence was always a struggle of mine self-esteem confidence public speaking you know all of that and being a lawyer you sort of need to do public speaking like going to court um And it was really important for me to have a breakthrough in my confidence. I knew that it would help me both at work and in dating. Um, And through the work that I did with Landmark, I took several of their courses. Um, I had a major breakthrough in confidence. Um, And it's interesting because I find it obviously a lot easier to be more open and vulnerable over social media than I do necessarily in person. But for me, I, I approach it as if I can help even one person, then it was worth it. And so I really push myself to be very open and to share what I'm comfortable sharing in the way that I do, 
because I know for what's helped me is hearing other people's stories and hearing other people sharing. And again, like it goes back to that same concept of like identification, knowing that it's not just you and that you're not alone really creates so much healing. And if I can offer that to someone, I feel like that's my purpose here in this world. Forget about my law degree or anything else. Like I, like I said, at the very beginning, I always had a passion for helping people and I do that in many different ways. And one of them is through my social media presence and just having the confidence to do that um, has been a journey. So sure. Yeah. (laughs) It's not easy. Yeah. It it can't be. There's, I mean, it's hard being so just hard to be being so vulnerable in public, you know? Well, in general, mm-hmm. even even one on one, and let alone to hundreds of people, you know. Exactly. Um. So, if you could turn back the time and talk to your eighteen-year-old self, what would you tell her? Oh, um, that's a really tough question. There's so many things. Um, I would say to her, um, to get help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I would say to her that life is going to be challenging, but it's going to be worth it. I would say to her that she is lovable and worthy and to never forget that. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Are there any women who have inspired you along your journey? Um, yes, many women, um, most of whom I cannot name simply because they, they are women that I've met through 12 step recovery, which is anonymous, obviously. Um, but I'm trying to think if there's anyone that I can name. (laughs) Um, you know, it's tough because if I name one person then I'm automatically leaving someone else out. And I would hate to do that um, because it's undoubtedly going to happen. I'm going to forget someone. So what I will say is that I seek out women who inspire and empower me, whether it's through social media, whether it's through human connection, I like seek them out. I love being connected to women like that. And so, so yeah, the bottom line is that I can't, I, I wish I could share specific names, but I, I'd rather not simply because I don't want to leave anyone out, but there are plenty of women specifically on social media who contribute to like my, my daily inspiration. Okay. No, that's fair enough. What is something that you hope that the next generation of women won't have to struggle with? My sincerest hope is that the next generation of women do not have to struggle with self-worth. Um, I, see, I see so many people, myself included, who question their worthiness, their lovability, their their esteem. I mean, it's, it really, it it makes me emotional just thinking about it because we struggle to see our own strengths and achievements. And I just hope that the next generation won't have that same struggle where they can acknowledge their greatness and be able to pass that on to future generations as well. Yeah, I love that. I really do. Okay, so finishing off, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and connect with you, see more of your stuff? Oh, yeah. So definitely on Instagram. Um, My handle is free to be underscore TZ, as in Sporzal Manowitz. I can also be found on Facebook with my regular name. Um, But Instagram is really my jam. That's that's really where I connect with people and, and get to talk more openly about codependency and recovery and all, all those fun things. Yes. And I, I love watching your stories and reading your posts. <laughs> you could tell that you put a lot of thought into it. And um, yeah, it's very, you're, you are very inspirational. 
Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me tonight, Tara. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and insights and experience your story with us. And I can't wait for everyone to hear this. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K. And on our website, CarmelaCosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 